Chapter Two of Lorelei of the Red Mist by Lee Brackett and Ray Bradbury. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The hall had been cleared. Stark had washed and shaved himself. His new face wasn't bad, not bad at all. In fact, it was pretty damn good, and it wasn't known around the system. It was a face that could own a million credits and no questions asked. It was a face that could have a lot of fun on a million credits. All he had to figure out now was a way to save the neck the face was mounted on and get his million credits back from that beautiful she-devil named Ron. He was still chained, but the straw had been cleaned up and he wore a leather kilt and a pair of sandals. Fallon sat in his high seat nursing a flagon of wine. Budeg sprawled wearily on a fur rug beside him. Romna sat cross-legged, his eyes veiled sleepily, stroking soft, wandering music out of his harp. He looked fay. Stark knew his swamp-edgers. He wasn't surprised. "'This man is telling the truth,' Romna said. "'But there's another mind touching his. "'Ron's, I think. I don't trust him.' Fallon growled. "'I couldn't trust a god in Cronin's body.' Stark said, "'What's the setup?' all the fighting out there, and this Ron dame trying to plant a killer on the inside. And what happened at Falga? I never heard of this whole damn ocean, let alone a place called Falga. The bard swept his hand across the string. I'll tell you, Hugh Stark, and maybe you won't want to stay in that body any longer. Stark grinned. He glanced at Budig. She was watching him with a queer intensity from under lowered lids. Stark's grin changed. He began to sweat. Get rid of this body. Hell, it was really a body. His own stringy little carcass never felt like this. The bard said, In the beginning, in the Red Sea, was a race of people still having their fins and scales. They were amphibious, but after a while part of this race wanted to remain entirely on land. There was a quarrel and a battle, and some of the people left the sea forever. They settled along the shore. They lost their fins and most of their scales. They had great mental powers, and they loved ruling. They subjugated the human peoples and kept them almost in slavery. They hated their brothers who still lived in the sea, and their brothers hated them. After a time, a third people came to the Red Sea. They were rovers from the north. They raided and raved, and wore no man's collar. They made a settlement on Cromdu, the Black Rock, and built longships, and took toll of the coastal towns. But the slave people didn't want to fight against the rovers. They wanted to fight with them and destroy the sea folk. The rovers were human, and blood calls to blood. But the rovers liked to rule, too, and this is a rich country. Also, the time had come in their tribal development when they were ready to change from nomadic warriors to builders in their own country. So the rovers, and the sea folk, and the slave people who were caught between the two of them began their struggle for the land. The bard's fingers thumbed against the string so that they beat like angry hearts. Stark saw that Budek was still watching him, weighing every change of expression on his face. Romna went on. There was a woman named Ron, who had green hair and great beauty, 
and ruled the sea folk. There was a man called Fallon of the ships, and his sister Budig, which means dagger in the sheath, and they too ruled the outland rovers. And there was the man called Conan. The harp crashed out like a sword blade striking. Conan was a great fighter and a great lover. He was next under Fallon of the ships, and Budic loved him, and they were plighted. When Conan was taken prisoner by the sea folk during a skirmish, and Ron saw him, and Conan saw Ron. Hugh Stark had a fleeting memory of Ron's face smiling, and her low voice saying, It's a good body. I knew it, before. Budig's eyes were two stones of blue vitriol under her narrow lids. Conan stayed a long time at Falga with Ron of the Red Sea. Then he came back to Chrome Dew and said that he had escaped and had discovered a way to take the longships into the harbor of Falga, at the back of Ron's fleet, and from there it would be easy to take the city, and Ron with it. And Conan and Budic were married. Stark's yellow hawk eyes slid over Budig, sprawled like a young lioness in power and beauty. A muscle began to twitch under his cheekbone. Budig flushed, a slow, deep color and her gaze did not waver. So the longships went out from Chrome Dew across the Red Sea, and Conan led them into a trap at Falga, and more than half of them were sunk. Conan thought his ship was free, that he had Ron and all she promised him, but Fallon saw what had happened and went after him. They fought, and Conan laid his sword across Fallon's brow and blinded him, but Conan lost the fight. Budig brought them home. Conan was chained naked in the marketplace. The people were careful not to kill him. From time to time other things were done to him. After a while his mind broke, and Fallon had him chained here in the hall, where he could hear him babble and play with his chain. It made the darkness easier to bear. But since Falga, things have gone badly from Comdu. Too many men were lost, too many ships. Now Ron's people have us bottled up here. They can't break in. We can't break out. And so we stay, until... The harp cried out a bitter question, and was still. After a minute or two, Stark said slowly, Yeah, I get it. Stalemate for both of you. And Ron figured if I could kill off the leaders, your people might give up. He began to curse. What a lousy, dirty, sneaky trick! And who told her she could use me? He paused. After all, he'd be dead now. After all, a new body, and a cool million credits. Ah, the hell with Ron. He hadn't asked her to do it, and he wasn't nobody's hired killer. Where did she get off, sneaking around his mind, trying to make him do things he didn't even know about? "'especially to someone like Budeg. "'Still, Ron herself was nobody's crud. "'And just where was Hugh Stark supposed to cut in on this deal? "'Cut was right. "'Probably with a longsword, right through the belly. "'Swell spot he was in, and a good three strikes on him already. "'He was beginning to wish he'd never seen the TV mine's payroll ship, "'because then he might never have seen the mountains of White Cloud.' He said, because everybody seemed to be waiting for him to say something. 
usually when there's a deadlock like this somebody calls in a third party isn't there somebody you can yell for fallon shook his rough red head the slave people might rise but they haven't arms and they're not used to fighting they'd only get massacred and it wouldn't help us any what about those other uh people that live in the sea and just what is that sea anyhow some radiation from it wrecked my ship and got me into this bloody mess budag said lazily i don't know what it is the seas our forefathers sailed on were water but this is different it will float a ship if you know how to build the hull very thin of a white metal we mine from the foothills but when you swim in it it's like being in a cloud of bubbles it tingles and the farther down you go in it the stranger it gets dark and full of fire i stay down for hours sometimes hunting the beasts that live there stark said four hours you have diving suits then what are they stark told her she shook her head laughing why weigh yourself down that way there's no trouble to breathe in this ocean for cripe's sake said stark well i'll be damned must be a heavy gas then radioactive surface tension under atmospheric pressure enough to float a light hull and high oxygen content without any dangerous mixture well well okay why doesn't somebody go down and see if the sea people will help they don't like ron's branch of the family you said they don't like us either said fallon we stay out of the southern part of the sea they wreck our ships sometimes his bitter mouth twisted in a smile did you want to go to them for help stark didn't quite like the way fallon sounded it was just a suggestion he said budag rose stretching wincing as the stiffened wounds pulled her flesh come on fallon let's sleep he rose and laid his hand on her shoulder ramna's harp-strings breathed the subtle little mockery of sound the bard's eyes were veiled and sleepy budag did not look at stark called conan stark said what about me you stay chained said fallon there's plenty of time to think as long as we have food and the sea feeds us he followed budag through a curtained entrance to the left ramna got up slowly slinging the harp over one white shoulder he looked steadily into stark's eyes in the dying light of the fires i don't know he murmured stark waited not speaking his face was without expression conan we knew stark we don't know perhaps it would have been better if conan had come back he ran his thumb absently over the hilt of the knife in his girdle i don't know perhaps it would have been better for all of us if i'd cut your throat before budeg came in stark's mouth twitched it was not exactly a smile you see said the bard seriously to you from outside none of this is important except as it touches you but we live in this little world we die in it to us it's important the knife was in his hand now it leaped up glittering into the dredges of the firelight and fell and leaped again you fight for yourself hugh stark ron also fights through you i don't know stark's gaze did not waver 
Romna shrugged and put away the knife. It's written of the gods, he said, sighing. I hope they haven't done a bad job of the writing. He went out. Stark began to shiver slightly. It was completely quiet in the hall. He examined his collar, the rivets, every separate link of the chain, the staple to which it was fixed. Then he sat down on the fur rug provided for him in place of the straw. He put his face in his hands and cursed, steadily, for several minutes, and then struck his fist down hard on the floor. After that he lay down and was quiet. He thought Ron would speak to him. She did not. The silent black hours that walked across his heart were worse than any he had spent in the Luna Crips. She came soft-shod, bearing a candle. Budag, the dagger in the sheath. Stark was not sleeping. He rose and stood waiting. She set the candle on the table and came, not quite to him, and stopped. She wore a length of white thin cloth twisted loosely at the waist and dropping to her ankles. Her body rose out of it straight and lovely, touched mystically with shadows in the little wavering light. "'Who are you?' she whispered. "'What are you?' "'A man, not Conan. Maybe not you, Stark, any more. Just a man.' I loved the man called Conan, until... She caught her breath and moved closer. She put her hand on Stark's arm. The touch went through him like white fire. The warm, clean, healthy fragrance of her tasted sweet in his throat. Her eyes searched his. If Ron has such great powers, couldn't it be that Conan was forced to do what he did? Couldn't it be that Ron took his mind and molded it in her way, perhaps without his knowing it. It could be. Conan was hot-tempered and quarrelsome, but he... Stark said slowly, I don't think you could have loved him if he hadn't been straight. Her hand lay still on his forearm. She stood looking at him, and then her hand began to tremble, and in a moment she was crying, making no noise about it. Stark drew her gently to him. His eyes blazed yellowly in the candlelight. "'Woman's tears,' she said impatiently, after a bit. She tried to draw away. "'I've been fighting too long, and losing, and I'm tired.' He let her step back, not far. "'Do all the women of Cromdu fight like men?' "'If they want to. "'There have always been shield maidens. "'And since Falga... I would have had to fight anyway, to keep from thinking. She touched the collar on Stark's neck, and from seeing. He thought of Conan in the market square, and Conan shaking his chain and gibbering in Fallon's hall, and Budic watching it. Stark's fingers tightened. He slid his palms upward along the smooth muscles of her arms, across the straight, broad planes of her shoulders, onto her neck the proud strength of it pulsing under his hands. Her hair fell loose. He could feel the redness of it burning him. She whispered, You don't love me. No. You're an honest man, Hugh Stark. You want me to kiss you. Yes. You're an honest woman, Budeg. Her lips were hungry, passionate, touched with the bitterness of tears. After a while, Stark blew out the candle. 
I could love you, Budek. Not the way I mean. The way you mean. I've never said that to any woman before. But you're not like any woman before. And I'm a different man. Strange, so strange. Conan, and not yet Conan. I could love you, Budek, if I lived. Harpstrings gave a thumbing sigh in the darkness, the faintest whisper of sound. Budig started, sighed, and rose from the fur rug. In a minute she had found her flint and steel and got the candle lighted. Romna the bard stood in the curtained doorway, watching them. Presently he said, "'You're going to let him go.' Budig said, "'Yes.' Romna nodded. He did not seem surprised. He walked across the dais, laying his harp on the table, and went into another room. He came back almost at once with a hacksaw. "'Bend your neck,' he said to Stark. The metal of the collar was soft. When it was cut through, Stark got his fingers under it and bent the ends outward, without trouble. His old body could never have done that. His old body could never have done a lot of things. He figured Ron hadn't cheated him. Not much. He got up, looking at Budeg. Budeg's head was dropped forward, her face veiled behind shiny hair. There's only one possible way out of Chrome Dieu, she said. There was no emotion in her voice. There's a passage leading down through the rock to a secret arbor, just large enough to moor a skiff or two. Perhaps, with the night and the fog, you can slip through Ron's blockade. Or you can go aboard one of her ships, for Falga. She picked up the candle. I'll take you down. Wait, Stark said. What about you? She glanced at him, surprised. I'll stay, of course. He looked into her eyes. It's going to be hard to know each other that way. You can't stay here, Hugh Stark. The people would tear you to pieces the moment you went into the street. They may even storm the hall to take you. Look here. She set the candle down and led him to a narrow window, drawing back the hide that covered it. Stark saw narrow, twisting streets dropping steeply toward the sullen sea. The longships were broken and sunk in the harbor. Out beyond, riding lights flickering in the red fog, were other ships, Ron's ships. Over there, said Budeg, is the mainland. Crom Du is connected to it by a tongue of rock. The sea folk hold the land beyond it, but we can hold the rock bridge as long as we live. We have enough water, enough food from the sea, but there's no soil nor game on Crom Du. We'll be naked after a while, without leather or flax, and we'll have scurvy without grain and fruit. We're beaten, unless the gods send us a miracle, and we're beaten because of what was done at Falga. You can see how the people feel. Stark looked at the dark streets and the silent houses leaning on each other's shoulders, and the mocking lights out in the fog. Yeah, he said, I can see. Besides, there's Fallon. I don't know whether he believes your story. I don't know whether it would matter. Stark nodded. But you won't come with me. She turned away sharply and picked up the candle again. Are you coming, Romna? The bard nodded. 
he slung his harp over his shoulder. Budeg held back the curtain of a small doorway far to the side. Stark went through it and Romna followed, and Budeg went ahead with the candle. No one spoke. They went along a narrow passage, past storerooms and armories. They paused once while Stark chose a knife, and Romna whispered, Wait! He listened intently. Stark and Budeg strained their ears along with him. There was no sound in the sleeping dun. Romna shrugged. I thought I heard sandals scraping stone, he said. They went on. The passage lay behind a wooden door. It led downward steeply through the rock, a single narrow way without side galleries or branches. In some places there were winding steps. It ended, finally, in a flat ledge low to the surface of the cove, which was a small cavern closed in with the black rock. Budig set the candle down. There were two little skiffs built of some light metal moored to rings on the ledge. Two long sweeps leaned against the cave wall. They were of a different metal, oddly veined. Budig laid one across the thwarts of the nearest boat. Then she turned to Stark. Romna hung back in the shadows by the tunnel mouth. Budug said quietly, "'Goodbye, man without a name. "'It has to be goodbye. "'I am leader now, in Fallon's place. "'Besides, these are my people.' "'Her fingers tightened on his wrists. "'If you could.' "'Her eyes held a brief blaze of hope. "'Then she dropped her head and said, "'I keep forgetting you're not one of us. "'Goodbye.' "'Goodbye, Budig.' Stark put his arms around her. He found her mouth almost cruelly. Her arms were tight about him, her eyes half-closed and dreaming. Stark's hands slipped upward, toward her throat, and locked on it. She bent back, her body like a steel bow. Her eyes got fire in them, looking into Stark's, but only for a moment. His fingers pressed expertly on the nerve centers. Budig's head fell forward limply, and then Romna was on Stark's back and his knife was pricking Stark's throat. Stark caught his wrist and turned the blade away. Blood ran onto his chest, but the cut was not into the artery. He threw himself backward onto the stone. Romna couldn't get clear in time. The breath went out of him in a rushing gasp. He didn't let go of the knife. Stark rolled over. The little man didn't have a chance with him. He was tough and quick, but Stark's sheer size smothered him. Stark could remember when Romna would have not seemed small to him. He hit the bard's jaw with his fist. Romna's head cracked hard against the stone. He let go of the knife. He seemed to be through fighting. Stark got up. He was sweating, breathing heavily, not because of his exertion. His mouth was glistening and eager, like a dog's. His muscles twitched. His belly was hot and knotted with excitement. His yellow eyes had a strange look. He went back to Budic. She lay on the black rock, on her back. Candlelight ran pale gold across her brown skin, skirting the sharp, strong hollows between her breasts and under the arching rim of her ribcase. Stark knelt across her body, his weight pressed down against her harsh breathing. 
He stared at her. Sweat stood out on his face. He took her throat between his hands again. He watched the blood grow dark in her cheeks. He watched the veins coil on her forehead. He watched the redness blacken in her lips. She fought a little, very vaguely, like someone moving in a dream. Stark breathed hoarsely, animal-like, through an open mouth. Then, gradually his body became rigid. His hands froze, not releasing pressure, but not adding any. His yellow eyes widened. It was as though he was trying to see Budick's face, and it was hidden in dense clouds. Back of him, back in the tunnel, was the soft faint whisper of sandals on uneven rock. Sandals walking slowly. Stark did not hear. Budick's face glimmered deep in a heavy mist below him, a blasphemy of a face, distorted, blackened. Stark's hands began to open. They opened slowly. Muscles stood like coiled ropes in his arms and shoulders, as though he moved them against heavy weights. His lips peeled back from his teeth. He bent his neck, and sweat dropped from his face and glittered on Budick's breast. Stark was now barely touching Budick's neck. She began to breathe again, painfully. Stark began to laugh. It was not nice laughter. Ron, he whispered. Ron, you she-devil. He fell away from Budig and stood up, holding himself against the wall. He was shaking violently. I wouldn't use your hate for killing, so you tried to use my passion. He cursed her in a flat, sibilant whisper. He had never in his profane life really cursed anyone before. He heard an echo of laughter dancing in his brain. Stark turned. Fallon of the ship stood in the tunnel mouth. His head was bent, listening, his blind dark eyes fixed on Stark as though he saw him. Fallon said softly, I hear you, Stark. I hear the other breathing, but they don't speak. They're all right. I didn't mean to do. Fallon smiled. He stepped out on the narrow ledge. He knew where he was going, and his smile was not pleasant. I heard your steps in the passage beyond my room. I knew Budick was leading you, and where, and why. I would have been here sooner, but it's a slow walk in the dark. The candle lay in his path. He felt the heat of it close to his leg, and stopped and felt for it, and ground it out. It was dark then, very dark, except for a faint smudgy glow from the scrap of ocean that lay along the cave floor. It doesn't matter, Fallon said, as long as I came in time. Stark shifted his weight warily. Fallon, I wanted you alone. On this night of all nights, I wanted you alone. Budic fights in my place now, Conan. My manhood needs proving. Stark strained his eyes in the gloom, measuring the ledge, measuring the place where the skiff was moored. He didn't want to fight Fallon. In Fallon's place he would have felt the same. Stark understood perfectly. He didn't hate Fallon. He didn't want to kill him, and he was afraid of Ron's power over him when his emotions got control. You couldn't keep a determined man from killing you and still be uninvolved emotionally. 
Stark would be damned if he'd kill anyone to suit Ron. He moved, silently, trying to slip past Fallon on the outside and get into the skiff. Fallon gave no sign of hearing him. Stark did not breathe. His sandals came down lighter than snowflakes. Fallon did not swerve. He would pass Stark with a foot to spare. They came abreast. Fallon's hand shot out and caught in Stark's long black hair. The blind man laughed softly and closed in. Stark swung one from the floor. Do it the quickest way and get clear. But Fallon was fast. He came in so swiftly that Stark's fist jarred harmlessly along his ribs. He was bigger than Stark, and heavier, and the darkness didn't bother him. Stark bared his teeth. Do it quick, brother, and clear out. Or that green-eyed she-cat, Fallon's brute bulk weighed him down. Fallon's arm crushed his neck. Fallon's fist was knocking his guts loose. Stark got moving. He'd fought in a lot of places. He'd learned a lot from stokers and tramps, Martian low canalers, red-eyed Nahali in the running gutters of Lahi. He didn't use his knife. He used his knees and feet and elbows and his hands, fist and flat. It was a good fight. Fallon was a good fighter, but Stark knew more tricks. One more, Stark thought. One more and he's out. He drew back for it. His heel struck Ramna, lying on the rock. He staggered, and Fallon caught him with a clean swinging blow. Stark fell backward against the cave wall. His head cracked the rock. Light flooded crimson across his brain and then paled and grew cooler, a wash of clear, silver-green-like water. He sank under it. He was tired, desperately tired. His head ached. He wanted to rest, but he could feel that he was sitting up, doing something that had to be done. He opened his eyes. He sat in the stern of a skiff. The long sweep was laid into its crutch, held like a tiller bar against his body. The blade of the sweep trailed astern in the Red Sea, and where the metal touched there was a spurt of silver fire and a swirling of brilliant motes. The skiff moved rapidly through the sullen fog, through a mist of blood in the hot Venusian night. Buda crouched in the bow, facing Stark. She was bound securely with strips of the white cloth she had worn. Bruises showed dark on her throat. She was watching Stark with the intent, unwinking, perfectly expressionless gaze of a tigress. Stark looked away, down at himself. There was blood on his kilt, a brown smear of it across his chest. It was not his blood. He drew the knife slowly out of its sheath. The blade was dull and crusted, still a little wet. Stark looked at Budig. His lips were stiff, swollen. He moistened them and said hoarsely, "'What happened?' She shook her head, slowly, not speaking. Her eyes did not waver. A black, cold rage took hold of Stark and shook him. "'Ron!' He rose and went forward, letting the sweep go where it would. He began to untie Budic's wrists. A shape swam toward them out of the red mist. 
a long ship with two heavy sweeps bursting fire astern and a slender figurehead shaped like a woman a woman with hair and eyes of aquamarine it came alongside the skiff a rope ladder snaked down men lined the low rail slender men with skin that glistened white like powdered snow and hair the color of distant shallows one of them said come aboard hugh stark stark went back to the sweep it bit into the sea sending the skiff in a swift arc away from ron's ship grapnels flew hooking the skiff at thwart and gunwale bows appeared in the hands of the men wicked curving things with barbed metal shafts on the string the man said again politely come aboard hugh stark finished untying budic he didn't speak there seemed to be nothing to say he stood back while she climbed the ladder and then followed the skiff was cast loose the longship veered away gathering speed stark said where are we going the man smiled to falga stark nodded he went below with budig into a cabin with soft couches covered with spider silk and panels of dark wood beautifully painted dim fantastic scenes from the past of ron's people they sat opposite each other still they did not speak end of chapter two